What's up, everyone? Welcome to Making the Shift. Where we listen to autistic voices, explore new therapy ideas, and share neurodiversity-affirming methods and strengths-based approaches to support autistic kids. Because we're not here to try and, quote, fix kids. We are here to love them, embrace them, and celebrate them for who they are. I'm Jesse Ginsberg, sensory integration trained SLP, founder of a top-rated speech therapy clinic in Los Angeles, and creator of the Inside Out Sensory Certificate for SLPs. And I'm Chris Winger, also known as Speech Dude, high school SLP and creator of the Dynamic Assessment for Social-Emotional Learning. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 11 of Making the Shift. That's right. We have made it to episode 11. You say that every episode. And I was thinking (laughs) about this, though. I was like, you know what? There's usually things that come with a significance to a number, you know? But then I was thinking about 11, and there's not really much that comes in groups of 11. But then I thought about something recently that did come in a group of 11. Donuts, when I bring them home, they come back <laughs> with 11 of them. Sometimes 10. <laughs> Sometimes, Sometimes 10. nine. Well, you know it. We, we are have... still getting back into the swing of things. If you can't tell, we took a long weekend, went up north to my hometown, and my little brother got married. And all of me and my two brothers, three of us siblings, were all engaged at the same time. That is fantastic. It was my first time up to visit her side of the family too. Um, and it was not just the a, family, not the family, the but the town where <laughs> Jesse grew up in. And yes. it was much different than the town I grew up in. So it's kind of a nice um, feeling to get out of town to see um, everything that her hometown involved. I know it's funny because I grew up in Carmel, which is known to be a beach town. So it has that beachy kind of preppy feel in a lot of places but then it also like 10 minutes away in Carmel Valley it's really ranchy and we went to the hay store hay hay and feed store and baby jack played in the hay and we listened to live music with the stage was a uh, pickup truck and it was awesome just all around everybody had a blast yeah we did a lot of fun stuff we don't get to do that kind of stuff all too often when you have three children, things can be a little bit tough, but we were able to get out there and just really uh, soak, it, soak it up. The wedding went fantastic for her and brother. you officiated the wedding. I was the acting ordained minister. Fun so, fact. You guys may not know that about him. Yeah. So it's uh, behind my credentials. When I write my reports, it says Chris Winger, CCC-SLP-ordained minister. <laughs> DJ slash MC slash OM. All of it. So many special things. Awesome stuff. So today we are talking all about what not to do when you see a problem behaviors. This is a conversation we have probably every single week. And it's such a great topic because I think there's so much there are just so many misperceptions out there about what to do when you see challenging behaviors. And I think the other thing is that they directly affect us. Yeah, absolutely. How could we not care? And, you know, working in the schools, we see this happen 
all the time, right? When we're working within our field, um, we see certain challenging behaviors arise and we see how um, they're handled and what the uh, outcomes are of those things. And we really wanted to dive into that for this episode. Yeah. And I would say we use the term challenging behaviors lightly. I always say behaviors in quotes because there's such there's, I think behaviors are often mislabeled as something that's done intentionally when a lot of the times that's not the case, which is what we wanted to talk about today. So I learned a really great analogy. It was in the book Beyond Behaviors by Mona De La Hook. And she talks about behaviors as an iceberg. And when you think of the tip of the iceberg, it's this tiny part of the iceberg. That's all we can see. So that represents the behavior. And then there's this mass under the water of the rest of the iceberg. And that represents, you know, why, why it's all happening. And so often when we see behaviors, the first question we have is how can we get rid of it? When the question we should be asking is what is this behavior telling us about the child? Right. We're reframing the question. Because we mentioned back in one of our, of our earlier episodes, the questions are going to lead to the quality of our answers. And so the question is reframed from how can we, instead of saying, how can we get this child to participate or how can we get this child to stop biting or hitting or screaming or saying bad words, we reframe it to why is this child exhibiting this behavior And how can we address it in that regard? And there are so many things that could be factoring into that behavior. You know, it's not always as simple as one answer. Like we said, the bottom of the iceberg can have so many different elements. And you think about kids, you think about, did they get enough sleep? Did they eat well today? Are they having any stomach issues? Do they have any health issues? How's their emotional regulation? Are they in distress? Do they have anxiety? Do they have sensory differences? All of these things can factor into that surface level behavior that we see. So I think that where we got into this conversation was he was talking about at schools, how they have behavior. And honestly, that's not like a big area in my life because I'm in private practice and that's not something that we generally address in private practice, but maybe you can explain what that is for people who aren't that familiar with it. Okay. Yeah, no, exact. So this is uh, um, for those of you working in the school system are probably familiar with these because if you're a speech pathologist or just in the field of special education, then you've more than likely at least have come by one. Maybe you've been in um, a meeting where uh, one of these were um, created, but essentially what it is is, over a period of time. So it doesn't really just happen with with one instance when a student um, has a challenging behavior. It usually happens over several times, maybe over a a duration. So for example, I'll use an example Um, that comes up every so often with aggression. Aggression seems to be one of those behaviors that leads to a behavior plan. And so when a student is in class and has um, and has maybe they were maybe they bit the student next to them or they hit another kid at recess or whatever it might be, that will lead into a meeting 
not a behavior plan, but when that behavior peeps its little head up again, then it usually calls the team in to do further exploration. And that's when they discuss, okay, we need to look really at creating a, a behavior plan. And so typically the way those look is we look, the behavior plans will look at, you know, when did this happen? The antecedent and, and how can we put things into place? What are some reinforcers? What are some replacement behaviors to address um, those types of needs? So that's really where they come from. Now, I'm going to shift into one of the thoughts that Jesse and I wanted to talk about, which is what are the outcomes of those things and what should we consider before we even get to that point, which is this. We tend to look, I shouldn't say we, but typically when a student has a challenging behavior, maybe it is aggression, um, what's often looked at is how do we stop the kid or the child or the student from hitting somebody else? Yes, exactly. The top of the iceberg. That's the top of the iceberg. Stop the hitting. Right. So we're looking at whether it's biting, screaming, kitchen, kicking, punching, saying a bad word. Those are all of the, the, the things of how do we get that to stop, right? We're looking at the behavior. We need to look below the surface. We need to put on our scuba diving gear and get <laughs> down in the cold water to where the large chunk of the iceberg is. And we need to look at that stuff. That's the why. Because when we just look at the behavior of hitting, we're not giving the kid the skill that's, that he was missing. And so what ends up happening is that after the kid returns from suspension or when the behavior plan has been met after four months, we see it pop up a year, four years later of the same behavior plan. And it's like, oh my gosh, we're on a hamster wheel, just running in circles. So um, a lot of this stuff that we talk about, um, from my knowledge, there's a lot of, of, of research and stuff on it, but it's a guy by the name of Dr. Ross Green. He wrote a book called The Explosive Child. He's got one that I read called Lost at School, which is a fantastic resource. But he talks about looking at what is the unresolved problem um, or, and then what is the lagging skill that we need to teach the kids. So we're looking at the why. What is what is it that the kid has? So I love that. Right. And it's funny because we, we will have conversations where Chris will come home and explain something that happened at school and he will ask me, and what is the lagging skill? And I'll say something like emotional regulation. And he'll say, and, you know, and then he'll just keep going until we, we get them all. It's so fun. It's such like, a different way to look at behaviors though, is, well, what can we help teach the child so that this changes over time? You know, what is the lagging skill? What is the lagging skill? So um, examples are um, a good way of for visualizing and providing a scenario. So let's talk about yeah. the aggression one. All right. Uh, who's a popular singer of a band, like a rock band? Um, oh my gosh. I was going to say someone in Blink-182. Oh, okay. Happy, but I, can't, I don't know Tommy. their names. <laughs> Tom DeLong. So we've got <laughs> little Tommy, right? So Tommy uh, was in elementary school. He got to high school. He was on a behavior support plan or a behavior intervention plan. And so little Tommy um, had some difficulties in class when he was in math class working on word problems and got really frustrated and he ended up hitting the classmate next to him. 
physical aggression. But then Tommy did it the following month. And what had initially started off as a one-day um, suspension from school led to a three-day suspension. And then it led to an IEP meeting being called where they implemented a behavior support plan. And within that behavior support plan, it was agreed upon that we need to address the how. Like, how can we prevent him from hitting? And what that looks like sometimes, actually, I should say often, is we need to make sure that these aggressive behaviors don't impact others. So what we're going to do is we're going to re remove Tommy from the, that, that group or from that peer or from that class. But what we're going to do is we're going to give Tommy a replacement behavior. Tommy, when you feel like you're going to hit somebody, you need to walk over to what, to what we talked about, which is next door to the quiet zone, Tommy. And when you get to the quiet zone, you're going to reach in that little bucket of fidgets and you're going to grab a stress reliever. You're going to squeeze it. You're going to do 10 deep breaths, man. You're going to do that, right? <laughs> Human brains don't work that way. And Jesse's course dives deep into this. When someone's dysregulated, do you think that they're going to be able to have the critical thinking skills up here in this cortex area to make the decision to go next door to grab a stress relief ball and squeeze it and take 10 deep breaths? No. It's that, it's that <laughs> phrase um, we used to say, which is between every thought and decision. Do you remember that? Yeah, phrase? yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, that was, um, gosh, that was the guy that wrote the book about the, the man search for meaning, mm -hmm. Victor Frankel. Yeah. Behind stimulus and response, there's a choice. And within that choice, we have the power to make the outcome of the situation, but not if our brain and not if we're dysregulated and this isn't a Tommy issue. This is the way a human brain issue is right. So it, it typically the way it would look like, okay, Tommy, if you're going to hit somebody, but you didn't, and then you walk next door, we're going to give you a couple stars on your chart. All we're doing on that level. We talked about this in a previous episode is if he doesn't get those stars, Matt, then guess what? He's punished, right? So what do we do? We talk about what is the bottom part of the iceberg? What is the skill that Tommy needs? And in this situation, he needs the ability to identify what's going on when he has the difficulty with word problems in math. The issue wasn't the hitting, right? The issue was the word problems in math because that's where it kept occurring. And, and so we, you know, interestingly enough, one of the major causes of behaviors we see is when kids have feelings of shame, embarrassment, or failure, those types of feelings actually cause kids to act out. And you probably see that a lot, especially in the high school level. Right. Like they sit down, they're embarrassed, they can't do the work. So maybe instead they start like bothering the person in front of them. And if there's anything I've learned, so I've been in education now for 20 years. There's one thing that you really do learn about high school students, but I should say it's really all kids. And it's this, no kid, the, the, when kids wake up, their job for eight hours is to go to school. Like we have our own jobs. That's what a kid's job is, is school, right? And they want to be good at it. But the one thing that they really, really want to make sure of is that they're not embarrassed. So when the teacher calls on, Tommy, hey, Tommy, you know what? Can you go ahead and give us the answer to number four? 
Okay, Tommy's embarrassed because Tommy's already struggled with word problems. Tommy would rather stand up and hit the kid next to him than to look like he doesn't know the answer. That's how it is for everybody, right? Nobody wants to be embarrassed. And if we can understand that and we can understand that, hey, we don't need to target the behavior. We need to talk about what skill is missing or what skill is lagging and work towards that. Then we can better help the kids for a better future. And yeah. that's it. So what are some of maybe to give people an idea of what are some of the skills we might or we what we might consider lagging skills in that case? In that case, you know? there's probably a lot of um, areas, not just one. So the ability to have it, uh, he's the lacking the ability to come up with multiple solutions to a problem. Mm -hmm. He's so lacking the ability something. to self-advocate when he needs help, right? He's lacking the ability to perspective take when he hits somebody with aggression and, and not thinking about the other kids in the class, possibly, not always. But you see how there's layers of lagging skills that that yeah, particular station can dysregulation, you know, distress, distress, emotional distress. Shoot, we can even, I mean, not to not to um, digress too much, but I mean, we never even know. Like a lot of the kids we work with have alexithymia. What if he has a really hard time identifying those feelings or whatnot, or then going and expressing them? If you haven't heard of that word, um, alexithymia is. Um, is a, is a word that is long and I wanted to use it. So I sound smart. <laughs> That's what I did. I did that on the other episode too. No, Alexithymia. So it's like, you know, that Alexa on Amazon that you can buy. So Alexa, and then, you know, the thought your thigh It's part of your leg thigh. And then, you know, that musical Mia, Mama Mia. So Alexa Thymia basically nice. means a, a, a difficult time identifying one's emotions and feelings. Yeah, you know? and that is, we see at least what current research is, is that a lot of autistic people have trouble identifying their own emotions and feelings. So the, the issue with that is that if we don't know how we're feeling, then we don't know what we need in order to get the outcome that we want, right? right. So it can all sneak up on us very quickly and trigger very quickly. And this is important because these are the things that we do a deep dive with these are the things that are under the surface. These are the things that when we can recognize these types of things, when we can recognize and talk about the lagging skills and then get everybody on board, whether it's the teachers, the counselor, the paraprofessional, the SLPAs, the um, SLPs, um, just everybody on the team to work with the student on these lagging skills. We're helping this child form into a fine young adult and a happy uh, adulthood, right? That's kind of how it works. Okay, not to play devil's advocate, but why do you think that this is so much harder than just making up a behavior plan? Like, what is the reason why more schools haven't adopted these practices? Do you think it's lack of knowledge? Do you think it's lack of resources? Do you think it's because behavior plans work like in terms of do they are they effective yes but are they long-term effective obviously we know no you know well i think there's layers to this um and not to get um too pc on this i'm going to keep it to i think that when we work with ieps when we work with neurodiversity when we work with neurodivergent students what we're learning is what we had thought historically was the way to do it 
we've learned a new way. And sometimes, as I, I've talked about in the past, sometimes to make a revolution, the evolution process has to happen. And that's kind of where we're at right now is really social media and with conversations such as these make our brains reframe how we can approach these because historically that's all we've known. You know, there was a time in our life, honestly, not too long ago, just five centuries ago where 98% of people on the planet <laughs> thought that the world was flat. <laughs> not kidding about that. And it was like, a, oh my gosh, I can't believe that 98% of the world actually thought that. All right, we got to reshift our thinking and we got to learn more. And so I think that might be one of them. So we're reframing our thinking. So this is step one and this is day one. That's for some right. people. For some here. people, it might be one of those things where we sit back and we work on reframing that by shifting our language and the questions that we ask rather than saying, how can we get this kid to participate? We can ask, why is this kid not participating? What's underneath that stinking iceberg? What is the lagging <laughs> skill? What is the lagging skill yeah. and the underlying thing that's going on? Yeah. Awesome. So if you stuck around to the end, you get to hear this very exciting announcement I have partially unrelated to this. I had such an epiphany recently because I had posted about families getting an autism diagnosis and how um, a lot of kids that I knew would need or get the diagnosis were coming back without it. They would go to their tests and then they'd come back without a diagnosis. And I was like, why don't people know how to diagnose these kids? A lot of professionals, I feel like, still don't know the subtle signs of autism and characteristics and things like that. So I just had so many parents chime in about how important the parent input is to that decision, you know, because especially virtually in the pandemic, there are so many families out there doing virtual autism evaluations, which means the professional relies on footage from the parent and questionnaires and conversations with the parent. And that just really was a moment for me where I realized that which parents have been asking for a long time for access to our trainings that we do for SLPs. So we decided we are just going to do it. And the later this, not this month, it's still June, right? June. In July, we are going to be hosting a four-day sensory communication mini course for parents. And it is going to be free completely free. So we're so excited to be able to bring parents the information that we've been able to bring to SLPs so far. And I know that, you know, lots of parents are DMing me, sending me comment or commenting and everything saying, can we do this? And I keep telling parents, it's in our minds. It's in our minds. So I'm so excited. I can officially say it is happening. So I will post a link to the sign up in our video description here, podcast description, so that you guys can sign up because spaces will be limited. So thank you everyone for joining us today. We hope you got some great new information out of today's episode. Episode, and if you enjoyed <laughs> the episode, we would appreciate it if you can write a review or give us a review. That always helps us out. 
Stay tuned for next week's episode. But until then, have a legendary rest of your day. Bye. Peace. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.